chapter 44, 18 to 34. 44, 18. We'll see here Judah's sacrifice or his willingness to be a substitute for his brother. Verse 18. Then Judas approached him. Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears and do not be angry with your servant for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead. So he alone is left of his mother and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. And if you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will come about when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? Amen. Judah is central here. We have his exchange with Joseph or his discourse with Joseph, his petition with Joseph in this part. And why is Judah highlighted? Because likely a contrast is made between chapter 37, 26 to 27, where he had the idea to sell Joseph as a slave. Now here, he is willing to be a slave on behalf of his brother Benjamin and father, so that they don't have to suffer. This is basically what we have in this part. So he approaches Joseph, verse 18. Judah approached him, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. Firstly, we see how humble Judah is. He's humble by calling Joseph, my Lord, calling the ruler. He doesn't know it's Joseph. He's calling him my Lord. And he says this twice in this um, first sentence. Also, he calls himself your servant, calls himself your servant. 
And he says, please. Please. And he begs or petitions for Joseph not to be angry with your servant, which is also repeated. Now, why would Joseph be angry? Well, rulers don't like to be annoyed. And if they are annoyed, and if they are easily annoyed, they can easily dismiss the petitioner. They can easily do that. Or even punish the petitioner, depending on what the offense is or what the annoyance is, right? So he is trying to alleviate that possibility, remove that possibility, and beg for Joseph's attention. For you are equal to Pharaoh, which is true. He was second to Pharaoh. And in terms of practical matters, Pharaoh gave everything over to Joseph to handle in reference to the land and the produce of the land. And even the sale, we'll see later in chapter 47, that the people and the land, the property, was all in Joseph's charge because he bought it all for Pharaoh. Then verse 19, my Lord asked his servants, he repeats it again, have you a father or a brother? This is true. We did not seek to do harm, but you asked us and we honestly told you. Verse 20, we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Which is true, right? The father was old, um, over 100 years old. In fact, by the time he arrives in Egypt, chapter 47, verse 9 says he's 130 years old. 130 years old. That means that he was 98 years old when Benjamin was born. 98, and now here... (coughs) 130, 47, verse 9. Then he lives 17 years in the land of Egypt. Jacob and his household. Jacob lived there uh, for 17 years, according to 47, 28. Died at the age of 147. Well, in comparison to the old father, yes, even if Benjamin is uh, 32 years old, he could relatively... Speaking, be called a little child. Now, this is an emphasis in this chapter. The age of the father and the age of Benjamin. Especially now in our passage, the age of Benjamin. In what terms are used? 44.2, he's called the youngest. In, in verse 12, youngest. And then now in this passage, verse 20, little child. And then from 22 to 34, repeatedly he's called the lad. The lad. The lad. Remember that this word, the lad, is a term that is used of even men who are 30 or 40 years old. They are called elders if they are older than um, that, but they're like 50 and above, they're called elders, but... Around age, up to about age 40, they're still called lads. Lads or young men. Um, And it's a term used even for those younger than Benjamin throughout the Old Testament. That's a contrast that's made here because we're dealing with an extremely sensitive situation. A dilemma 
where you have an old father who is practically like a grandfather, and you have a young son, Benjamin. We have Jacob and Benjamin, and this scenario is a very precarious one for everyone in the, in the household of Jacob. Very, very sensitive situation. So it's bringing everything to the forefront in terms of the extreme dilemma that they all have. That's how intense it is, and that's the way Judah understands it. That's why, the way he's explaining it. So Judah and his character is highlighted by this very fact and the things that he's going to offer here. So verse 20, it says, we pick it up in the middle. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother and his father loves him. His brother is dead. He's telling Joseph, not knowing that he's talking to Joseph. This is what was concluded by Jacob. And over 22 years, the sons did not tell the truth to Jacob. Something uh, is amiss there. They didn't tell the truth to Jacob for all that while. And even in verse 28... Your servant, my father, said to us, 27 and 28, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces. They let that stand, and perhaps maybe even they believe that after a while. Who knows? That that's the outcome of Joseph. But not only that, Joseph being dead, he alone is left of his mother, verse 20. In Genesis 30, that's where it records the birth of Joseph. And then in Genesis uh, 35, the birth of Benjamin, which likely was about seven years apart. And the mother was Rachel. And who was Rachel? She was the wife that Jacob wanted to marry. He didn't want to marry the others. He wanted to marry Rachel. He loved her. But she died. When Benjamin was born, naturally then, Jacob would have a fond affection for the two sons of Rachel. And now that Joseph is gone from Jacob's life, especially for Benjamin, for these reasons. He's the youngest, the son of his, the wife he loved, and then also he's the only one left. That's how severe of a test Jacob undergoes. Judah recognizes it. Now he recognizes it. Verse 21. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. His father would die. This cannot happen that we separate Benjamin from Jacob brother or son from the father. Our brother, his son from father, because he would die. They repeat that, uh, a similar sentiment uh, later in the, in the narrative in verse 30, where they say, Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will come about when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. He's going to die when we present that to him. 
In 1 Samuel 18.1, 1 Samuel 18.1, we have another close relationship that's expressed, that is expressed in similar terms. 1 Samuel 18.1. Remember David and Jonathan. Now, it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. Their souls were knit together and Jonathan loved him as himself. So, loved him as himself. That's like the second greatest commandment, Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They were so bound up together that they were dedicated to the, the well-being of each other. And that's the same here. That's what he's saying about Jacob and Benjamin. 23, 44-23. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. That's the threat. That's the threat. What will you do? Are you going to prove to be honest men? And if so, then you will see my face. If you are dishonest, then you won't see my face. How desperate are you or how sincere are you? How virtuous are you to preserve your family? Verse 24, thus it came about when we went up to your father, to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back, buy us a little food. Now, that bit is very concise. They did report all these words to Jacob, their father, but he delayed in letting them go back, but eventually he realized how desperate they were and that they needed to go back. And finally he gave them permission. Go back, buy us a little food. Everybody is desperate here. Everybody is in a very sensitive and precarious situation. 26, but we said... We cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. We have to. There is no way. So you want us to be preserved? This is the only way. 27. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since for 22 years thinking he's dead. 29. And if you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow or with evil, literally with evil. So if he loses his second beloved son of his beloved wife, then it's going to tear his soul apart and he's going to die. There's no purpose anymore. He's going to be so sorrowful in grief that he's going to be a man who doesn't die in peace and in happiness, but in sorrow and misery. It's going to spoil his spirit and he's going to die. And harm befalls him. Harm could befall him on the journey because of, of thugs and bandits on the road looking for people who don't have the necessary means to defend themselves, and also even in Egypt. Who knows what might happen in Egypt? No one knows. Some, anything could happen, just like it happened to Joseph. 
it could happen again. So then we saw in verses 30 to 31 that it was such a close-knit relationship, he would have died. He could have died, would have died, according to Judah. Judah understood, and he's not begrudging that relationship. Remember earlier in 37, all the brothers begrudged that relationship that Jacob had with Joseph. But at this point, Judah is not doing that. He's appreciating it, and he's careful not to disrupt it. Now, therefore, 30, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will come about when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. Thus, your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. We don't want to be guilty of causing our father's death. We don't want to do that. We love our father. We don't want to see him die miserably. So please understand our predicament. Understand what we're experiencing here or don't want to experience in the future in relation to our father. This is how much we all love our father. Now the proposal. 32 and following. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? Another phrase that is repeated in this section frequently is my father, especially in this part, 32 to 34. My father in verse 32 said twice there in 33, um, uh, 34, in 34, my father twice in verse 34. So he's very, very concerned about treating his father well, loving his father, loving his neighbor as himself, the second greatest commandment. And now he wants to fulfill his word, verse 32. They were deceitful men in chapter 37, but now he's showing himself to be an honest man and his brothers. 32, your servant became surety for the lad to my father. I became surety, I became a pledge for the lad to my father. If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. I give my word to you, I promise. And if I do wrong, then I sh should be blamed forever for the wrong that I've done. So, since he gave this solemn oath, this solemn word to his father, he says... 33. He's still talking to Joseph, Judah and Joseph, and he's still being very polite. 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. I will do it. I will substitute myself, sacrifice myself in place of my brother Benjamin. 
I love my father and I love my brothers this much and this brother this much that I will do so. And I am willing to give up my family in order to lose my family for the sake of this arrangement. 34. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? I don't want to see him so discouraged that he dies. I don't want to see him die miserably. I want to see him die happily in peace. All right. Well, in verses, uh, well, in the whole passage, 18 to 34, we have an ideal example of someone who has changed. This is the, the completely different Judah than the Judah of chapter 37 and even the Judah of chapter 38. In 37, he sold his brother as a slave. In 38, he visited a prostitute, a harlot. This is a different Judah now, and even Judah's two sons. It doesn't say in chapter 38 whether he was um, a failure in teaching his sons, but he did have two sons who were wicked and died before the Lord because of their sins, died prematurely before the Lord. But now Judah is different, and so different that he has this discourse with Joseph to petition to spare Benjamin and spare his father, to lose everything, to be sold as a slave, and to have a loss of his own family too. To do what's right. To do what's right instead of what is convenient the way he used to be or pleasurable the way he used to be. This is very different, like we said, from the Judah of Genesis 37 and 38. It's also different from Cain. Remember what Cain said to the Lord? Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4, 1 to 15. Uh, 4 verse 9 says, Am I my brother's keeper? The audacity of Cain to say that to the Lord. Am I my brother's keeper? After he had murdered his brother, verse 8, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. The very opposite attitude. This would have been the way Judah was in Genesis 37 and 38, like Cain. But now he's not that way. He is the opposite well, the opposite is the way Christ was. Right. The way Christ was and the way we should be. The way Christ was. John 15. John 15, 12 and 13. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. That is the greatest love, to lay down one's life for his friends. Christ did that on our behalf. Romans 5, 7 and 8. Romans 5, 7 and 8. 
For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One might die for a, um, a good man. There's no need to die for a righteous man. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. And the application of this death of Christ is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, 11 to 18. 1 John 3, 11 to 18. These examples are all brought together by the apostle here. 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. From the beginning, it says in verse 11, and this beginning has to be, at least in this passage, it has to be from the beginning of the world, from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 to 4, that it was taught that we should love one another. It's taught that way in terms of natural law and also the confrontation that God had with Cain when he confronted him about the murder of Abel. It was self-evident, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? It was known that Cain should behave one way and not the other. But Cain refused all that. He didn't believe. He didn't love his brother. His, he was envious of his brother. Therefore, he murdered him. That was also Joseph, uh, um, Judah against Joseph. Envious of him. Therefore, he sold him as a slave. Well, we know the difference between the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves his brother and the one who doesn't. Because we love the brethren. Verse 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. And if we hate our brother, we are murderers and there's no eternal life in us. No eternal life in us. And how do you know? How do we know? Verse 16. We know love by this, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Right. 
Is that not what Judah is willing to do? Is that not what Jonathan was willing to do for David? Even though Saul was the king and was Jonathan's father, and Saul at least once attempted to put Jonathan to death, and Jonathan would not have it because he knew who was in the right before God. That was David and 1 Samuel 18.1. Their souls were knit together. And he loved him as himself. In that same way, we're supposed to do that. The application in verse 16 goes from Christ to us, all of us. And then, a little bit, before we actually lay down our lives, what about the daily circumstances? Something easier than that. Having the world's goods, and you see a needy brother... If you have the world's goods and you see a needy brother and you don't help him, certainly you're not going to lay down your life for him. Right. You're not going to do that. But we should help the needy brother. And then we show that we have the love of God. And we're supposed to do things like that because we're supposed to love in deed and truth. Not lip service, but in deed and truth. This is an example uh, of Christ. He, in this chapter, chapter 44, Judah is a type of Christ. It's an example of what they were to anticipate Christ would do on their behalf. Judah does it, and those who embrace faith in Christ are willing to live according to Christ. Both Judah and all others in the Old Testament and New Testament Today, whoever has true faith in Christ starts to emulate Christ, yep. starts to conform to Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. In Romans 12. So, we all should be this way. Now, having heard all of these words, next time we'll see in chapter 45, Joseph understood it was time because he couldn't control himself and he had sufficient evidence to reveal his identity to his brothers. Right. He had sufficient evidence to know they were genuine, authentic, true believers and he could trust them now and call on them to bring the household from Canaan to Egypt so that he could prepare for them and preserve them, preserve them from death because the Christ had to come into the world. He knew that Christ had to come into the world through his lineage, through Judah's lineage. Joseph knew through Judah's lineage. At least he knew at this point through Jacob's lineage and most likely also through Judah. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.